I want to read from John chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then jump down to verse 14 for a few verses there. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Verse 14. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servants knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Ye love one another. We are continuing our series called Love Connection. Love Connection. And... What I would like to talk to you about today is the lost connection. The lost connection. The lost connection. Last week we talked about the root is the problem. The root is the problem. The lost connection is the family. We, we judge our success on how many are baptized. We talk about, well, how many were spirit-filled? Uh, what was your Easter attendance? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a little insight into what preachers talk about. How many buses do you have running? Are you in a building program? And if you are, how big are you building? How many will your seat or your church seat? How many members do you have? How many viewed your webcast last Sunday? All these questions that talk about Items of comparison. How you doing? And we judge it and we judge our success on numbers and ratios and things of that nature. But I have been made to wonder if what we are doing is not at the expense of souls. And ultimately, we have done more to destroy what God intended to be built than we can imagine. 
God's greatest love is for family. For family. I'm reading a book entitled Family Driven Faith. It's in the bookstore. Some of you bought it. I've been reading it for a couple years. In the last few weeks and months, God has brought me back to this book about family and the orientation of the church. The entire orientation of the church is about family. And we have done more to segregate family in the church than any other institution in existence today. We bring our children, we send them off to children's ministry, thank God for children's ministry. We send our youth off to youth ministry to do what we as parents don't want to do. God never intended for the church to raise your family. See, I think what it really is, ladies and gentlemen, is we've got our priorities out of whack. God, church, and then family. But that's not how God intended for the church to operate. Yes, He is first and foremost. He is, must be the first in your life. But the second thing in your life should be your family. Because as goes the family, so goes the church. Genesis chapter 1, and you're, you're probably wondering sitting here what this has to do with John 15, everything in the world. And I pray that I'm able to draw the parallel for you before we're finished here this morning. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, so God created man in his own image. Now, there's a very powerful thing that all of us must really grasp in this verse. So God created man in his image. Now, if we're quick to jump over that, we're going to miss the meat of the matter. The meat of the matter is that God became the father of the human race. He created man in his own image and his own likeness. We often talk about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's not the only Son of God. Adam was created in the image and the likeness of God. He became God's son. God was his father. And so God says to Adam in verse 28, he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. But what I want you to notice is, he said three things. Fruitful, multiply, and replenish. In other words, you do what I've done. How are you going to do it? You're going to do it through man and woman. 
The Bible said he created man, male and female, man and woman. Reproduction happens through male and female. No other way. You have to have the seed of a man. You have to have the seed of a woman. When they come together, there is conception. God is neither male nor female. He's neuter gender. But he has both male and female attributes. He's predominant in his male attributes, but he also has female attributes. He would say, I am a mighty warrior, but then he would also say, I will cover thee with feathers. He has both. And so the truest connection that God gives in the physical realm is a male and a female. When they come together, the Bible said they literally become one flesh. So when we come together, it's the truest unity that is displayed of the totality of who God is. And he said, the way it is culminated is when you reproduce, when you have offspring, it shows the totality of who I am. So he said, I want you to be fruitful. The word fruitful there just simply means bear fruit. Now we're talking in the natural realm. We'll get in the spiritual here in a minute. But he said, bear fruit. In other words, he said, have children. Have children. Be fruitful. Bear fruit. That's the natural product of a man and a woman come together. You have children. And he said, multiply. In other words, increase. Now, what God is showing Adam here is I'm showing you characteristics of who I am. I'm a fruitful God. How many understand he's a fruitful God? He's a God of increase. That's why your life becomes better the longer you serve him. Of the increase of his kingdom and government, there shall be no end. He shall set up on his father David's throne to order it and to establish it forever. He's a God of increase. And then he said, I want you to fill the earth up. In other words, I want you to have much fruit. And so Jesus comes along in John chapter 15 that we would no way connect with Genesis chapter 1. And he said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. So when you are connected, now what is the church? The church is the bride of Christ. The psalmist said, Jerusalem from above is mother of us all. He's talking about the spiritual church, the spiritual bride. And he said, the church is the bride of Christ. And so the bride is to produce children. But back in the book of Isaiah, he would say, as soon as Zion travails, sons and daughters are born into the kingdom. That's important. Because God wants his kingdom to be filled. One time in a discussion, he said, I want you to go the highways and the hedges and compel them to come that my house may be filled. 
But I believe that the Lord sent me here today to tell this church something that, that we have overlooked because, ladies and gentlemen, while we have reached for others, we have overreached our own. We're, we're outreach oriented. This city, this community needs God. But I'm afraid in some ways that we as the church have, have jumped over the most important trying to reach people in our community. When the Lord told me this week, He said, if the church gets back to what I intended for the church to be, there will be a natural law of people coming to the church. He said, because I will call from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and I'll call them into my kingdom. But we have tried to circumvent what God instituted. What God instituted was the family. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. Adam and Eve had sinned. They had offspring. Can I say today that when our worship is messed up as a family, it will always affect the next generation? When Adam and Eve's worship got messed up in Genesis chapter 3, the next chapter, his son Abel was slain by Cain. And so the Lord sent me here as pastor of this church to tell this congregation if we will come back as family that God will heal our families and in healing our families He's going to heal our church and in healing our church He's going to heal our community. I'm optimistic today. I, I, know, I know I sound a little harsh right now, but I stand here very optimistic because I totally believe if we'll go back to the Bible and to the biblical plan of how we ought to be, that God has to bless what He said He would bless. And so it's the family. And so He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He said, you're in the vine to do what? Bear fruit. That's why you're in the branch. That's why you're in the vine. In, in verse number 2 he said, And every branch he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. But he said, Every branch that beareth not fruit, he does what? He taketh away. He removes it. But he purges the one that's bearing fruit that he may bring forth more fruit. Verse 14, he said, Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I have commanded you. Ye are my friends. In other words, we come into friendship when we are obedient to God. See, one of the biggest problems with people that come to church is they want God to bless disobedience. They, they, they want to do what they want to do, and then they want God to endorse it. But he said, ye are my friends if you do what I tell you to do. As pastor, I, I deal with people. I want you to be blessed. I want God's hand to be up on your life. But I've got to tell you, when you're disobedient to the commandments of the Word of God, you cannot be blessed. You can argue, people argue about tithing. Well, tithing, man, all the church wants your money. Go to, go to Jerry Jones and try to get into this Cowboy Stadium. 
and then leave saying, all Jerry wants is your money. Are you serious? But, but all the church wants is your money. You start talking about money. One in eight verses of Scripture deal with finances. And the only thing that Jesus said that you cannot serve the two of is you can't serve God and you can't serve money. My God. I didn't even, this ain't in my notes. This is just Holy Ghost right here. You can't serve God and you can't serve the God of money. That's why that Paul would write to Timothy and he would say, not money, it doesn't say money. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. You will love the one and hate the other. If your love for money ever exceeds your love for God, you will always have a problem with somebody talking to you about finances. But if you love God with all of your heart, you will say, whatever he asked me to do. That's why he said in Malachi, he said, you've robbed me because you have not returned the whole tithe. And because of that, your disobedience has caused a roof to come over top of you. And I would like to bless you, but I cannot bless you because you're living in disobedience. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I came to tell you, if you obey his commandments, you're called his friend. I want to be a friend of God. So he said, if you keep my commandments, if you do what I've commanded, then you're my friends. Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. And the word friend there is not just friend in the, in the word or the connotation of, of a, an associate. The word friend there is literally, I have called you a sibling. Oh God, I want you to get this today. I have called you my brother. I have called you my sister. I'm not calling you just a friend as, as a matter of, well, yeah, that, that so-and-so is my friend. I, I have a friendship with so-and-so. He's literally saying, you are part of my family. God, I hope you get this today. He said, literally, I've not called you a subservient to me, but I have called you on the same playing field. I have called you as my friend. I have called you as my brother. I have called you as my family. You are more than just somebody that I'm talking with. You are somebody more than I'm just giving you a little conversation. But I have brought you into me. That's why Paul would write in the next book, the book of Romans, and he would say that we have not received the spirit of fear again unto bondage, but we have received the spirit of adoption. We have received the spirit of where he calls us. As many as are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. What I'm trying to preach today, ladies and gentlemen, is that the connection that we lost is destroying not only us as individuals, but it's destroying the church. And God's saying, if you'll come back and you restore that lost connection uh, that you gave up uh, and you'll start raising your children the way you ought to raise your children and you'll start being the head of the house like you're supposed to be the head of the house. I will command my blessing upon it. I, I wouldn't ask for anybody to publicly raise a hand, but I wonder how many 
head of houses in this church actually lead their homes in prayer. I wonder how many heads of houses in this congregation have Bible study with their household. What we've done is we've relegated our duties as head of house to the church. That's why you want me to be a witch doctor to fix your problems. You, you want me to correct the issues of your children. It's the church's fault when all of our children... See, there's a, there's a major epidemic across all religious circles. It's an estimation of 95% of young people leave faith by their freshman year of college. Don't talk to me about America being a Christian nation. Because our Christian mindset is as long as we're in a building called a church. I'm going to preach, okay? I'm, I'm just going to preach because I'm very confident in what the Lord gave me. Our contingency of Christianity is we're in a building with a label over it that says we're a religious institution. God never intended for this church to raise your family. Never. He intended for us as parents to raise our family. See, the psalmist said in 135, he said that one generation shall praise his works to the next generation. But if Brother Jeremy's not on it on Sunday and the praise team don't take us over the edge, then it's their problem. No, it's not their problem. It's our problem. We have a worship problem. But it's the praise team's fault if, if the sermon don't go over the top and man, there's not fire. See, too many people are drunk on my enthusiasm. I had a man tell me that this week. He looked at me and said, Pastor, the problem is too many people are drunk on your enthusiasm. I'm like, what? He goes, you have to entertain them. You have to get them all excited. You have to come in bouncing off the wall. You have to come in, may just make some kind of theatrical presentation to appeal to their senses. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not my problem. I'm doing everything I can. I can pray for you, but I cannot pray for you. And I do pray for you, but I cannot do your praying for you, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot lead your home in prayer. I cannot come to your house and do personal Bible study every week. Uh, see, what the Lord has called us back to is, He's saying, the problem is uh, that the root is bad. See, we've got this generational root uh, that stretches from now all the way back to Adam. And you're in the wrong root. Because that root is the secular root of life. 
That's why you love money. That's why you love activities. That's why you won't disconnect your TV. That's why you got to watch everything under the sun, homosexuality and all kinds of stuff, and then want me to preach about it. What we need to do is go back to some family altars. What we need to do, I, I'm going to preach a little bit today. I, it may not be popular, but I'm going to preach a little bit. What we've got to do is go home and shut the TVs off and pull down the blinds and say, come on, Bobby. Come on, Jimmy. It's time to pray. Come on, Mama. It's time to break the Bible open and get back to praying. We can't do it all here. Can't do it all here. You expect me to be a magician. You expect me to bring your family problems. You expect to bring my, your family problems to me and, and me just magically say, boom, 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 everything's going to be okay. You can never expect your children to pray if you're not praying. If all they ever see you reading is some novel and some scandalous magazine and you know all about people and us and all, and Inquire and all those great magazines in the checkout line, you can tell all the latest gossip of, of who's getting married and who's divorcing and, and they got a child out of wedlock and you know more about days of our lives than the days of your life. You got a problem, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not anyway trying to get out from under my duty. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to preach the Word of God. But I'm also going to stand and tell you the truth. I've got an obligation where the Spirit of truth has come. It will lead you and guide you into all truth. We need some truth preaching today. We need some John the Baptist to thunder out of a wilderness with some fire in his belly and a Word of God in his mouth and say, Thus saith the Word of the Lord. We've lost the connection. We've lost the connection. When we're worried more about our kids excelling in sports than we are about living for God, we got a problem. I want to go to the book of Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. He said, Now these are the commandments and the statutes and the ordinances with which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land in which you go to possess. Whew. Some of us are ready to step into the land to possess it. We're on the precipice, but we're not ready. You're not ready. See, I'm, I'm, I'm really tired of, of all of this modern-day nomenclature that says, uh, you know, bless me, bless me, bless me, and name it and clab it, uh, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, and all this kind of stuff, and we've turned faith into fantasy. And we say things, and we expect God to write the check. Y'all aren't going to help me, but I'm going to preach. You don't even understand. You are standing on the land, on the precipice of the land to possess it, but you're not ready to possess it. See, it was not a problem for God to get Israel out of Egypt. It was a problem for God to get Egypt out of Israel. It's not the problem that God has something great for you. It's the problem that He can't deliver you from the old mindset. 
And if he lets you step into the land of promise, you're going to carry all this baggage that you've been carrying. And he, ah, help me, Holy Ghost. If he lets you step into the land of provision, you're carrying all this old stuff with you. And he said, no, there's got to be a change. There's got to be a transition. There's got to be something that happens. You have got to detach. I know this isn't modern day preaching because we want to hear, ah, I've got a blessing and it's coming right now. I'm going to get my blessing. I'm going to get it now and all this kind of stuff. And then we wonder and we get frustrated and we get mad at God. We get mad at the church. I'm going to change churches. I'm going to change preachers. I'm going to change worship teams. I'm going to change all this stuff. That's not the problem, ladies and gentlemen. The problem is we've got ideologies and and things from our past. We've got root problems from an old generational root. You need to take the axe of the Holy Ghost and sever that root and tap yourself into the true vine. Just touch your neighbor and say, tap into the true vine. Tap into the true vine. God could not get Egypt out of Israel. And so he had to cause a whole generation to die before they could go to the promised land. A whole generation had to die. I don't have time to wait for a whole generation to die. I want to see the promised land. Don't steal from me what God wants to give me because of your lazy, indifferent attitude that causes you to hold on to yesterday's things. Let it go. There's some people that want to see the promised land. We don't have time. Some of us don't have. Some of you are millennials and Gen X and Gen Z and, and, and alphas and all this other stuff. And, and you got time, perhaps. Some of us don't have time. No, 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 no. Joshua and Caleb had to wait 40 years before they could see the promised land that God had showed them 40 years ago. And I know we rejoice. And Caleb says, as my strength was then, so is it now. Well, maybe that might have been true. But I can tell you, I'll wear out a little faster than I did 10 years ago. Some of us don't have time, but we want to see the promised land. And we don't want you to have to wait. Young couples, young people, we don't want you to have to wait 40 years to see the promised land. We want to take you into a land that flows with milk and honey. We want to take you into a land where all the good things of God flows. And so he said, you stand. You're you're getting ready to possess. You're getting ready to possess it. But you've got to understand the commandments, the statutes, and the audience. Verse 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said that thou mayest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes. Not some of them. All of them. And his commandments which I commanded thee. Thou and thy son and thy son's son. Notice this. The connection of family. You might come from a long list of generational curses.
But you can start a generation of blessings. I don't care what your mama did. You do not have to carry on the traditions. I know Bocephus may have sung, I'm carrying on a family tradition. But it's time that some family traditions are broke. It's... I'm preaching to every dad today. I'm preaching to every household, head of household today. You can make a difference. This church can feel the impact of families that will join together at home and begin to pray. This church can begin to feel the impact of families that are not waiting for preacher to read a book, a Bible story on Sunday. But you can come into the house of the Lord with fresh bread, fresh bread. Fresh bread in your spirit. I was praying early this morning. I'll get back to Deuteronomy in just a second. But I was praying early this morning. And God brought to me. He brought me just into the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is in the pig pen. And he's eating the husk that the, that the pigs were eating. And all of a sudden, he said, hey... At my father's house, there's bread. And the Lord, I heard him speak to me. He said, you cannot expect a prodigal to come back to the house if there's no bread. If ever you talk about is the latest movie on the screen. If all you ever talk about are the sports scores. If all you ever talk about are the things of worldly entertainment, when they get in the pig pen, they're not going to remember that because they're hungry and they're looking for bread. But if they can remember there was bread at daddy's house. See, our idea, oh God, help me right now. See, our idea of bread is if they can come back to the church, they can get some bread. And we equate it all to God, and it's all God's responsibility to have bread in His house when they come. No, they're going to come back first looking for their family. What was the prodigal looking for? He was looking for the Father. See, some of you... Oh, see, the Holy Ghost told me, He said that healing will begin at the place of our hurt. I've got to go see my parents. And I'm thankful that my parents are still alive. But I've got to go make some things right with my parents. I didn't say that for your sympathy. I said that because I've got to go make some things right in my life because I want God's blessing upon my life and my family. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Man, I sung it four times and, and, and I still feel this guilt. Some of you are not, do not have the luxury of having a parent that's still living that you need to talk to. So you're going to have to make a trip to the cemetery. And you're going to have to sit down at a tombstone. And you'll never have the privilege of hearing them say, I forgive you. But know when you confess it, that you're forgiven. He said, your son, 
You, your son, and your son's son. What you do today has ripple effect for generations that you may not see. Some of you need to gather your children around and apologize to them for some decisions that you made. It's really not their fault. While you're trying to find fault with them, it's not their fault. It's decisions you made. Be man enough. Be woman enough to gather your family around and say, I've got to tell you some things. I've got to confess to you some things. I, I made some bad decisions. I, I made some decisions in the mood of the moment. But we're going to change some things from this day forward. As for me... In my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm. Some of you are holding your parents hostage for decisions you made. I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it. You heard it. Are you going to be willing to do it?